1: Welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show, The Sports Cage, on 620 CKRM. And a good Friday afternoon, Saskatchewan. This is
2: Brendan McGuire and Ryan McNally taking you through the Friday edition of The Sports Cage for Nelson Homes, supplying home packages and RTMs for over 65 years. Ahead on this edition of the program, uh, we will talk to... A fellow by the name of Ron Snyder, who's the author of the Baltimore Stallions, the brief, brilliant history of the CFL champion franchise. Some of you might remember they crashed the very first ever Grey Cup party here in Regina. We will speak with John Hodge of Three Down Nation about Brendan's American expansion fantasy and a few other things. Chase the Ace with the Saskatchewan Rough Rider Foundation. Uh, Ryan Switzer who does some work covering the Swift Current Broncos will join us, help tee up the weekend uh, between the Pats and the Broncos tonight at the Brandt Center, 6.30 pregame show, 7 o'clock on 6.20 CKRM. And you, sorry, you're going to say something or you're just no, nodding in agreement. Just nodding okay. in agreement. Good. And the senior hockey report with Barney Shinkruck uh, still ahead on this Friday edition of the Sports Cage. But first off the bat, we want to go out to the Western Pizza hotline and give a congratulatory welcome to Delisle's own Sherry Anderson, who will be one of four from her team inducted into the Canadian Curling Hall of Fame at a special presentation at the Scotty sorry at the at the Briar in Regina uh, next month in March where we will be broadcasting live Sherry welcome to the program and uh, what was your first reaction when you found out about the induction
3: well it was uh, basically honored I mean it's always nice to be recognized for your achievements and uh, we're excited about it so yeah that was my first thought was well that's kinda cool
2: when did you first fall in love with the sport
3: Oh, many decades ago. (laughs) Uh, I was about eight, eight years old when I started curling. So it's been a long time and uh, had a little two sheet natural ice rink in Northside where I grew up. And that's what we did.
2: Uh, Sorry, you said Northside. That's where you're from?
3: Northside, Christopher Lake. Yeah, it's all kind of in the same place.
2: Gotcha okay very good um were you surprised when you got the call uh was this something that you had not expected
3: um, yeah yeah, I was a little surprised uh, i mean that's the curling the canadian curling hall of fame um i i mean I was surprised but not totally i guess when you think about it i mean we've accomplished quite a bit with our senior team and uh did some things that not too not too many others if any have done in in uh in the curling world so i guess if i think about it 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 wasn't a total surprise but um you still still a bit surprised when it happens
4: sherry ryan here um Five straight uh, senior women's titles. Uh, had it open for 2020, very likely could have been six. Uh, when people say that, how does that sound to you? Uh, you know the the five street uh, titles. Uh, does it does it seem real?
3: No, actually, it it doesn't really seem real. I mean, uh, when you've played your whole life competitively and and tried to get to represent Canada. On the world stage, um, it, you know, it, it's it was a goal of mine from when I, when I was very young. So to get there and then having done it, even looking back now in the last few years and saying, well, geez, that's quite an accomplishment, but it still doesn't it still doesn't seem quite real to me. I, I mean, it's just doing what we all like to do and uh, what we love to do in the sport. So it didn't ever seem like pressure or or a job or any of that it's just been fun and a, a great ride so uh yeah
2: our guest on the western pizza hotline the newest inductee into the canadian curling hall of fame sherry anderson originally from delisle saskatchewan uh perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings plus greek food like sablaki ribs salads all the goodness you can't make at home call western pizza today were you originally born in delisle when i when i look it up that's where it says you were from originally
3: No, actually, I grew up at uh, Northside or Christopher Lake area, north of Prince Albert, is where I lived and uh, grew up there.
2: Fell in love with the sport. Um, Any time uh the americans talk about curling i remember uh one night i think it was david letterman had somebody on who had been doing uh broadcasts for cbs at the nagano olympics in 98 and they said let's show some footage of curling and they had somebody with the big corn broom and they're all laughing and we know that curling hasn't looked like that in forever what is the biggest change you think today in the sport from when you first started
3: Oh, goodness. I I don't think I could nail it down, narrow it down to one thing. I, I mean, the equipment's gotten so much better. The ice conditions have gotten so much better. Um, you know, if you take the top curlers in the world right now and they had to play on conditions that we played on 30 years ago, uh, it would be a different it would be a little different look, you know. I mean, we the top teams make it look so easy on television, and and then you get a beginner that goes out there and and they can't begin to duplicate what they see on television because it, uh, it's just it takes a lot of work at it, right? A long a long time to perfect that. But I think the combination of the rocks, the conditions of the ice. And the rule changes, I mean, there's been a lot of rule changes over the years, like any sport, where they try to perfect and get, you know, when things change in the sport, when the conditions do change, then they have to up, upgrade the uh, the rules, and I mean, it, I think it's a marvelous thing, uh, the rule changes that we've had over the years to keep people and players interested, um, and and the fans, so...
4: Sherry, it's a bit like golf, isn't it, when you talk about curling? Because everywhere you go, it seems like it's a different uh, surface you're playing on and, you know, at times almost a different sport.
3: Well, exactly, and, and, you know we we talk about you talk about homers right it's no different than a golf course if that's your that's your course you get used to that but maybe you're not a very good player on different conditions out at another golf course that maybe the greens are faster or slower or you know more break whatever uh curling's very much the same but you know the top teams all you have to do is look around and everybody's playing um all over the world Right, You've got the European teams coming and the Asian teams coming over to Canada and they're playing in the slam events. Now, having said that, usually the slam events are very consistent as far as the rocks and the ice. So it's not back in our day where... Oh, maybe it fell over on the, on the one side of the sheet, it fell to the boards and you had to play negative ice or, or throw the wrong turn and you know, things like that, but that's long gone now.
2: Uh, so often those of us who follow curling casually we always think of team this or team that and we think of the skip and and the name on the team and it's easy to downplay the contributions of the other members of the team uh on your team that's going in the hall with you patty uh Hersikorn, brenda gertson and anita silvernagle what can you tell us about their contributions to this
3: well i mean it, it's 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 a team sport you you have to all perform and and play at your best to win anything um so you know we did that pretty well together over the years there was a lot of times that we weren't in real good shape either in our provincials or at the canadian finals where we were three and four down and we came back and and ended up winning the event so you know that shows a lot of grit and uh, determination to to be back on the podium and and there were several times in fact more times than not that where we were we were not looking good and and you know a shot away from elimination so like i said team sport and we all uh we all kind of came together and and did what we had to do in those moments so that that shows a good team
2: chatting with uh, Sherry Anderson here on the Western Pizza Hotline Um, in this sport we know that to throw the amount of rocks that you need to throw to compete at that high of a level, you have to spend a lot of hours in, like you said, cold rinks in Northside with double ice or, f- or four ice or wherever it may be. Um, so often we glorify and hear the story of the NBA star and everything they had to put in or Tiger Woods about hitting a thousand balls, his hand bleeding, and then having to hit another thousand balls. Um, you have to go through a lot of the same stuff, but you don't necessarily get the financial return or glory that those guys get. Do you feel like the curler is the unsung hero of Canadian sports?
3: Well, sure. I, I mean, we're not we're not a professional sport um, with without. The help of sponsors and sponsorship for most all of the teams uh, a lot of people wouldn't be able to play it uh, you know you're taking a lot of time off work, and most of most of the curlers in Canada uh, are still your average doe that has a job and and has to go to work on Monday, so you're taking time all your holidays for for curling um, and the payback you know. It's gotten a little better with the slam events and the top teams. But even then, even if they won $50,000 in a slam event, that's split at least four or five ways. Uh, You've got all your expenses out of that. So it's not like they're walking away with thousands of dollars in their pocket. Um, It would be nice to see it change and become more of a professional sport so people could make a living at it you know some of the very top teams in Canada I guess are maybe making a bit of a living off it but not not a lot that they can retire on Um, and it is physically a grueling sport it's it takes a toll on your body Uh, it's very kind of a lopsided deliveries are not always conducive to good knees and good backs and and the sweeping prowess now of all the top curlers it's hard on their shoulders and arms and stuff. So it would be nice to see some bigger payouts. Um, People that enjoy watching curling absolutely love it. And the reason being, I think, is you get to hear and see the players. And you hear exactly what they're thinking. You see them face to face. There's no face mask or, you know, like a football player. They become sort of like they know you right they walk up on the street and hi Sherry you don't know me but I know you from curling because they've seen my face over the years a lot and there's nothing obstructing it and they hear my thoughts on you know the game or my frustration with the game or whatever it is so it's a very marketable sport in my mind for spectators and it's too bad that hasn't kind of become that professional sport like, a, like some of the other ones.
4: Sherry, uh, i got to ask about the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. It starts tonight uh, with Team Saskatchewan, the Skylar Ackerman rink, which uh, I'm sure is a team that you've played a time or two. Uh, are you going to be watching the action?
3: Oh, always. I always do. Um, yes, I'll be particularly watching Skylar in their rink, but uh, I always enjoy the good play of everybody. And uh, I think it's personally, if I was to pick a winner, um, goes Saskatchewan. But I think theoretically, with their first time going, um, they're going to have a tough time cracking into that top four or five teams. Uh, Rachel Holman's team has played so well this year. Um, they've had only a handful of losses throughout the season. I think they're going to be hard to beat. But, I mean, it is a game played on ice, so there's no definite there. But um, you take Jennifer Jones and Carrie Anderson and Rachel Holman, I think are going to be the top three picks for pretty much anybody that's going to watch it. So it should be a good battle between some of the top ones for sure.
4: You finished with a silver in 2002. Uh, Would you trade anything for a Scotties championship?
3: Well, yes and no. I mean, life is what life is, right? You, there's no turning back, unfortunately, but uh, I can't be too upset with my career in curling over the years. I've I've played with a lot of great teammates and uh, played in a lot of big games and fortunately I've had the chance to represent Canada four times at the world stage now in the seniors. And I know it's seniors and it's not the, the Scotties and the Briar, but Uh, It's still rewarding and uh, still a chance to represent Canada. So I don't think I've changed too much over the years.
2: I just had one that jumped in my mind before we let you go, Sherry. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, who's the greatest curler you ever faced?
3: The greatest curler I ever faced? Well, I'd have to say... Two of the Joneses, I'm going to take two people. <laughs> they are allowed. Have, both have a last name of Jones. Um, Colleen Jones, because of her mental um, strength out there, uh, just mentally was really strong. Strategically, I didn't always agree, but mentally she was one of the strongest I ever curled against. And Jennifer Jones... Uh, I got to say, is the GOAT right now. She has such a passion and such a desire to play and play well and, and just loves the game, and that's kind of how I've always been. So I, I would say those two are probably the two best. Now, as far as technical and the ability and the strength, uh, you got to throw in Rachel Holman there. She's unbelievably a uh, strong player a, a good thinker of the game and uh, a competitor so she'd be right up there as well
2: high praise from a hall of famer uh thanks for doing this sherry congratulations and uh we look forward to seeing you on your big day uh here in Regina during the briar next month
3: thanks very much guys
2: that is north side saskatchewan's sherry anderson joining us here on the program Coming up, we will talk CFL. You're listening to The Sports Cage on Rider Radio, 620 CKRM.
1: Nobody covers your team like our team. This is The Sports Cage on the mighty 620 CKRM.
2: Still ahead on this Friday edition of The Sports Cage for Nelson Holmes, Ryan Schweitzer to help tee up the weekend back and forth between the Pats and the Swift Current Broncos, maybe talk a little baseball with Schweitzer. He's been doing the games for 20 years, I think he told me, since 2004. The now Swift Current 57s, very sharp look when they changed in colors. So Yeah, I like their unis too. They're they're nice. Pretty important weekend for the Pats and not an easy team to get past, although I don't think the Broncos have been living up to expectations back to when they made the big deal at the trade deadline. And also, we will talk a little bit CFL Uh, coming up. John Hodge will join us in hour two and go over the uh, historical American expansion that hit the CFL in the mid-90s. We will talk to Ron Snyder, the author of a book that I'm about halfway through, uh, coming up later in the program. Just before the break, Sherry Anderson, you know, I knew I should probably take the break, but I just had to ask her that question. And uh, greatest curler she ever faced, pretty much a toss-up between jennifer and colleen jones what did you say you had a stat for
4: colleen jones well and i mentioned that uh scotty's final in 2002 in brandon uh colleen jones threw 99 percent in that final so that that was uh, the stat of note uh, for me that i wanted to pick out uh which uh in the one two game where uh, anderson beats colleen jones uh, Colleen Jones threw 68%. So, uh, you know, just, uh, she turned it on for the big games and, uh, you know, definitely, uh, definitely won her fair share of big games as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I would definitely, uh, agree with Sherry Anderson on that Colleen Jones, Jennifer Jones kind of half and half take there, uh, both, uh, tremendous curlers in their own right. But, uh, in Saskatchewan, we definitely still think of Sandra Schmirler as one of the greats too.
2: Yeah, no, you can't forget about her for sure. And, um, you know, in the case of uh Sherry Anderson, a lot of comparisons between her and Colleen Jones because Colleen Jones, I think, won her first Scotties in eighty two, and then I remember you'd see her on T V doing the weather, and you'd think, Okay, she used to be really good at curling or her team used to be really good and they would come into the Scotties and they didn't do very well for a lot of years. And then all of a sudden we got into the two thousands and wham, they started winning championship after championship after championship. So it's almost like um Sherry Anderson and Colleen Jones have both been able to stay prominent in a sport for many, many years that is more and more becoming a young person's game. And I kind of put them in that same category of uh, Kevin Martin, you know, Brad Gushu, who were able to do it at a high level into their 40s and even beyond. So... That's pretty cool. We will see that induction ceremony coming up at the Briar, where we'll be broadcasting live throughout the entire event, our usual time during the week, 2 to 5 on weekends. I know you'll be down there a lot on the weekends, and we will look forward to that. Okay, coming up next, we will go to Baltimore, Maryland, and visit with Ron Snyder. You're listening to The Sports Cage on Rider Radio, 620 CKRM.
1: It's time to step into the Radio Octagon. You're tuned to The Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Still ahead on this Friday edition of the program for Nelson Holmes, the Senior Hockey
2: Report with Barney Shinkruk will air that in Hour 3. But right now, we go out to the Western Pizza Hotline to the great state of maryland where we are joined by ron snyder who is an award-winning journalist who lives in baltimore maryland and has fond memories of that city's cfl time and many of you will remember the very first gray cup played at taylor field was going to be a huge party and it still was until the americans came in and completely crashed it on us but very very fond memories For me, I know that was my first ever Grey Cup, and I remember I I told the story earlier this week when uh, Eremius Gabriel and I would go to all the games in 94-95 and talk about how exciting it was to have so many teams, and I I think he made the comment, that must have been really boring and dull when we only had eight or nine teams, and that's where we were back to uh, two years later. Ron, welcome to the
5: program. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
2: What made you want to write this book the baltimore stallions the brief brilliant history of the cfl franchise
5: well it's something I, it was really 10 years in the making for me I, I grew up here in baltimore and you know for those out your way that may not know you know, we went uh, we had lost our initial nfl team the colts back in 84 and i was like six or seven around that time and went basically my whole childhood without nfl football and uh, you know we lost out on an expansion here when Uh, the Jaguars and the Panthers got their teams. And then uh, this uh, businessman by the name of Jim Spears came to town and said, we're going to bring football back to Baltimore and it's going to be of the Canadian variety. And we're like, wait a minute, what? We were a little surprised at first, but this was again during the the big expansion era uh, experiment of of the, of the mid nineties. And these guys came in and were just, so impressive so amazing i mean all they did was win it was fun football it was exciting football um and and uh, you know some of the greats of all time you know came out of those two teams in, in in baltimore uh you know going to the gray cup both years um you know, losing in 94 in the last second field goal and and winning it all in 95 and then they were gone i mean it was you know the the, the ravens came back the 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 U.S. expansion was kind of uh, deemed not a success outside of Baltimore, and, you know, they they, kind of went away, and I just felt like they they had a story to tell, and and I was just glad I was able to tell it.
2: Was there any point during that time when you were a fan that you thought or you sensed the people of Baltimore thought, this Canadian game in some ways is better than the American version?
5: We we were so... Jaded at the time with the NFL. I mean, because again, they you know the, the, the Colts left. We were thieves with so many different times uh, with with uh, different teams moving in, and, and it came in and we had forty thousand fans out in many games that first season. Um, and it was it was a, you know it was, of course it was just getting used to the rules, but I think you know unlike a lot of those other U.S. teams in Vegas and Birmingham and you know, uh, Shreveport. I mean, this was a team that was built for the CFL. So, you know, it really helped the fact that, that this was a team that knew how to play the CFL brand of football. And, and it was exciting. They were putting up points. Um, they were, um, you know, playing tough defense. It was a blue collar team for a blue collar town. And it was just, it was fun to watch. And I think, if, especially for us, you know, you got to remember 94, especially, you know, the, the, the baseball strike was going on. So it was really the only game in town. So you know we we were we were all into it, and you know they initially called them the Colts, which which you know until the uh, NFL sued, and the next thing you know, you know they played that first season as the Baltimore CFLers. They didn't even have a, a, a team name. You know there was a team with no name, and I think we just all kind of just connected with one another, and you know it, it, even to this day, thirty years later, it's today still is uh, a team that holds a special place in my heart.
2: Do you think that that Um, two-year stretch pressured the National Football League at all to going back into that city?
5: You know, I mean, there is a narrative that that was the case. I think it was part of it. You know, obviously they saw that, hey, look, Baltimore puts 40,000 fans in there for CFL. Football, you know, we're going to bring in the NFL um, back. I mean, and, you know, again, it wasn't a guarantee that was going to work. And They've tried different versions of non-NFL football in in the United States for 30 years, and and none of them have really took hold. I mean, you you got the the new merger of the UFL and the NFL now, uh, or the USFL now, which, you know, we'll see if it works or not. Um, But, you know, I I think, you know, we had a stadium deal in place uh, that that was going to attract somebody, but I think it needed, I think the CSL, um, you know, success, it definitely was was kind of a, what helped push it over the edge, you know, and say and let the NFL know that maybe we made a mistake here.
4: Ron, do you still catch up with the CFL game? It's uh, changed slightly uh, since, of course, that uh, Baltimore run in '94, '95. But uh, it, do you still uh, catch up with it uh, every I, now and again? I, I
5: you know, I watch it. Um you know, I watch it a lot. Um, you know, when we can get it down here, I follow it on, on somewhat online. Um, you know, I'm at that age now where, to be honest with you, sports in general involves a lot of times with me going to watch my, my kids play field hockey or swimming and stuff like that. So I know the I feeling. I haven't watched as much as, you know, I, I might normally have. I do keep up with it. and uh, You know, I do root for its success. Um, again, you know, I, I think I watched it more even, after, you know, Kept up with it while there were still some of our players still in the league. You know, I watched those Montreal teams uh, that kind of merged into the what the Stallions were. And, you know, against some of those great players that you know, any CFL fan will know: Mike Pringle, greatest running back in CFL history; uh, Jim Pop, one of the great GMs of of in CFL history; Tracy Ham, one of the great quarterbacks of all time. And you know, I mean, it's just uh, it was Don Matthews. Uh, one of the great coaches in CFL history. So, I mean, it was really a team that, you know, yes, they were all American, but those guys had, you know, were, you know, built the name for themselves for the most part in the CFL, both before Baltimore and after Baltimore. I mean, you look at some of the, the players that, that came up through there you know, that ended up going on to the NFL, guys like Sharp Ordanish, uh Josh Miller went to the NFL, the punter, um, you know, and again, we had some other players that had great success in, in the CFL players, like Irv Smith and um, you know Robert Drummond, among others.
2: O.J. Brigantz.
5: O.J. Brigantz, yes, absolutely. O.J. Brigantz uh, was one of the great linebackers in CFL history, and is the only player in, in football history to win a Grey Cup and a Super Bowl ring for the, uh, in the same city.
2: Our guest on the Western Pizza Hotline is author Ron Snyder. And uh, another question that I wanted to ask you about, or I was going to point out before I get to it, is um, your stallions not only crashed the party in Saskatchewan because it was our first ever Grey Cup in the now what is over 100 year history of the franchise, but people might remember that Don Matthews left Saskatchewan to go to Baltimore and completely raided the staff and took just about everybody on staff. So it was kind of like a double whammy for us uh, here in Regina is there any part of you that ever wonders if a project like that would be worth underwriting for the Canadian football league again, maybe not to Baltimore, but um, St. Louis almost got an NFL franchise when they, um, before the Rams, when they tried to lure the new England Patriots and the prospective owner was going to call them the St. Louis stallions. Um, You know, so there's a city that's wide open. Uh, Have you ever wondered about that?
5: I, I, I've wondered, and, and you know, we've seen like again. We've they've tried alternate NFL football leagues in in, in the United States. You know, they, the XFL's had several you know versions. The USFL has had several versions. Um, again, now that the UFL, I would have always, I've always loved to see what would happen if if the the, the now UFL and the CFL could ever come to an agreement and kind of have some sort of uh working agreement. You know, I think I think there's you know, there is a formula. I mean I think Baltimore, you know, Baltimore figured out how to do it uh, you know, with Stallions and if you look at the X F L, UFL, I mean St. Louis has had success with their team there. Um, you know, and there have been a couple other cities. It it's finding the right cities, the right agreement, the right economics. I mean, you know, I I, I think and I think I, I, you know I, I'm not a gambler, but I think with gambling expanding the way it has like anytime you can have more football and more things to bet on, I think people will watch it. So, you know, maybe that's something that'll, that'll help it as well, but I would love to see a UFL CFL uh, agreement of some kind, because I think it just makes for, you know, it could make for some exciting exciting times.
2: All guests appearing on the sports cage uh, appear on the Western Pizza Hotline, perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings, plus Greek food like souvlaki, ribs, salads, all the goodness you can't make at home. Call Western Pizza today. So there's a constituents of fans up here who love the idea of a partnership with the old XFL, the USFL, now the United Football League, as you mentioned. And there's a constituents of fans up here who has no interest in that and wants no part of it. And then there's a few people who are right in the middle, like me, who I don't want any partnership with these leagues either. I don't want anything to do with those rules or whatever they come up with. Right. I want American expansion in the Canadian Football League. I, I, I have this mm-hmm. grand vision of getting to, uh, we're at nine teams right now, getting to 10 or 12 teams in Canada, tweaking the ratio, coming up with ideas to, uh, maybe allow the Canadian teams to pay American players a northern living allowance, so that the American teams don't have an unfair advantage to drawing players and working through all the barriers. Because there were a ton of issues that came up the last right. time that it did.
5: Yeah, there were. I mean, you know, I think some people will point to the, you know, the ratio was a big reason why the you know, the, the stallions were playing under a different set of rules uh, than the Canadian teams and. He, yeah, and, and I, I guess I, I didn't realize just how much of a you know uh, ownership CFL teams CFL had, and, and had an issue with Baltimore until you know I started researching the book. I was like, well they were really mad at us. A lot of people, and and and, 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 I, and I kind of felt like you know we you know, we we embraced it. You know, I think we were so upset that you know we were kind of. You know, persona non grata in the NFL and we were like we embraced the C F L and, and and we really enjoyed the game while we had it. Um and like I said, I w- it was exciting for us. I would love to see yes, I mean, whether it be the UFL or the uh uh C F L expanding into the US, um, yeah, I, I would like to see that. I mean it it look, I mean, there are Canadian teams in the NBA, there are, you know, American and Canadian teams, obviously in the NHL and Obviously, the, the Blue Jays have had success in, in baseball, and, you know, I, I, I think it could work the other way around. It's just finding the right cities and, and the right, you know, agreement for, for, for the teams.
2: Do you think that, well, I should ask you this question. Do you talk to Jim Spiros often?
5: I haven't talked to him in a couple of years. I mean, I, I did interview him for the book, and then, and, um, you know, the book came out a couple of years ago. Um, it came out right at the start of the pandemic. I did a lot of interviews back then because there was no sports going on, so it kind of came out at a good time, but it also came out at a at a bad time. I, I was able to do a a, a live stream, uh, you know, not long after the book came out, where I was able to bring all the players together, including uh, Mr. Spiros, and he came on and and uh, was. Uh, you know, still excited about the, about the team. And, you know, we had a lot of chance to reminisce about those times. And they, they had a a reunion uh, about five or six years, about five or six years ago now, maybe a couple of years more. Actually, actually it's been about, no, it's been about almost 10 years, been nine years now. They had a reunion here in Baltimore for the 20th uh, reunion of the, of the CFL of the great cup championship. Uh, They had them in town and brought them all together, kind of way to celebrate. Um, but i i know he he still considers that one of his proudest uh, accomplishments in his professional life I, th-
2: I think his words, I-, I saw footage, Dave Naylor from TSN went down did a great story from that reunion. And I think yeah, well, Spiros, one more time,
5: right.
2: yeah, and Spiros got up in front of the crowd and just said, everybody, I've accomplished so much, like, because he's been a pretty successful businessman. You know, he played right. a little pro football. He he coached on a Super Bowl winning team. And he said, this was the greatest thing I've ever done. And I think he broke down in tears and everybody cheered. And mm-hmm. that was a pretty cool scene. The reason why I asked if you talked with him much um, did, did you ever get a sense that he would have rejected the idea of, hey, we want you in the CFL, we think you can be successful, we'll all be successful, but it has to be the Canadian Football League forever, and that's the brand of the different rules in order to be relevant from the American brand of football? Do you think he ever would have been accepting of that? Uh,
5: I'm sorry. Like, if he would have been accepting of the brand, the of,
2: brand, the name could never change. It has to be Canadian Football uh, League forever, and the rules have to be what I, they are.
5: I don't know. I, I, to be honest with you, I, I'm not sure because I mean I don't know. If it was, unfortunately, you know that the, the, it wasn't around long enough. I know there was some talk of, of maybe, uh, maybe tweaking some things. I know uh, in, in the United States it was hard getting. I think the hardest thing was getting stadiums uh, fields that, that that configured to the um, to the CFL. Uh, you know, measurements. I, I, I knew that was an issue in a lot of the stadiums. Um, and I think there was some talk of, you know, if it had gone longer, but I, I don't know if that would have held. I think uh, at the end, I think he wanted to see, like everyone uh, associated with the Stallions, wanted to see the expansion work and wanted to see this best brand of football continue. And, and unfortunately, you know, it, 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 Expansion, you know, expansion to, to you know outside the NFL in, in America has has just not worked well for whatever reason. Outside of Baltimore in in, in the CFL and outside of maybe St. Louis in the XFL, um, you know, it's it, it's been a hard uh, it's been a hard sell for for whatever reason.
2: It's been wildly unsuccessful, and it was in the CFL too, outside of Baltimore. Has there ever been any talk that you've heard of, like the Ravens doing anything to honor the the '95 Grey Cup champion Stallions?
5: No, I've not heard anything. They, I know they recognize um, the Baltimore history uh, of, of the Colts. Um, you know, I know. You know, obviously, they've had connections through the year to the CFL. Uh, you know, Derek Burgans, who was a big part of that. A team worked with the team for a long time. And of course, uh, those who don't know, he's battled ALS for, you know, a good part of uh, 15 years now. Um, and is still in Baltimore with his, his Brigance Brigade Foundation uh, to promote uh, research for, for ALS and ALS-related uh, issues. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was a hard sell to get the book published in Baltimore because a lot of people just Unfortunately, just weren't aware of it. You know, they, they, I had to explain to them just how how unique a story this was. I mean, it was it was like a a, you know, a supernova It came in burning bright and burning fast, and when it was extinguished, it was done. But it was a fun ride while it lasted.
2: It was like a fairy tale. It came in with a poof, and then just ended with a poof as well. Right after. You know? um, and
5: and I, will, I even thirty years later, I still look back at it as some of my favorite memories in, 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 in all of. You know, my time watching sports, I think that's because, you know, these guys came in and and connected with us and they were fun to watch and they just loved being in Baltimore and we loved, you know, being the underdog. We were, you know, we were not welcomed by the NFL at the time and then people in the, many people in the CFL were like, we don't want you here either. So we were just like us against the world mentality.
2: It was a crazy time, and, and I, I agree with all of that. But I know as a young fan, it was so exciting, and I still think of that all the time. Uh, the book, The Baltimore Stallions, A Brief Brilliant History of the CFL Champion Franchise. Ron Snyder, where should people look for your book?
5: Um, well, You can look for it. Uh, it's published through McFarland Publishing, um, and also it's available you know, on Amazon and, and all of the other online book retailers
2: fantastic thanks for doing this i could talk about this stuff all day long i don't know if the listeners would really love that so much but uh thanks for doing this ron and uh hopefully we'll chat about this again another time
5: well i appreciate it and and again i hope you guys check out the book it's really a a great read it was a labor of love uh for me and again it brings back a lot of good memories and and i think if you're enjoy sports and, and you're a football fan you're going to enjoy the book very well said Okay,
2: and uh, that is Ron Snyder joining us from the great state of Maryland. I know you have some breaking news.
4: We do have breaking news. Uh, The bid for Carrie Anderson to win a fifth straight Scotties gets a little harder now as her lead, Brianne Harris, cannot compete this year at the scotties tournament of hearts she's being ruled as ineligible uh, curling canada made that announcement over twitter or x however you uh decide to uh, say that uh particular application uh, curling canada made that announcement this afternoon no word on why she's been reported as ineligible but uh we'll hopefully get some answers here uh, shortly there you have it. Breaking news. You without your zinger stinger. We got to get you one of those things. Got to. Yeah, I guess so.
2: That is big news. Okay, we'll be back with more of the sports cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax
0: returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues, and all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, so we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
1: Our house is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Still ahead in hour two of this Nelson Holmes Friday edition
2: of the Sports Cage. John Hodge from Three Down Nation. We'll do a bit of a follow up to the chat we just had with uh, the author Ron Snyder. Special thanks to him, of course. Ryan McNally with the breaking news. But getting back to the um, American expansion era, I know you're just a young buck. Uh, how old were you when those teams came around? I did not exist. Oh, you weren't in, even born yet. Okay. I was born in 97. Yeah, and see, I feel like you missed out. Yeah, do you watch the 30 for 30s, that ESPN? Uh, I do. I do. I don't think I've watched that one. No, but, the, uh, I, th- there hasn't been there one. There hasn't been point. one. I know. Isn't that crazy? But have you have you ever watched the USFL one, like Small Potatoes? With uh, I
4: watched the XFL one okay. with uh, Vince McMahon and NBC. That one was cool. Yeah, and, and the point is, when I watch those,
2: I think, okay, this is really interesting. This is cool why isn't there one on the U S expansion air in the CFL? I remember uh, sitting, chatting with Stu Ford once years ago and we were talking about that. And he says, you should do a 30 for 30 on that. And that's like a, a dream. I have lots of different crazy ideas and never enough ambition to actually, you know, get them off the ground. But I, I, I think it's a cool story. And I also think there are ways for the Canadian football league to address those issues. Like when it comes to player ratio, uh, when it comes to, uh, Uh, being allowed to pay players more money from the TV contract for a Northern living allowance. These are complicated issues, and nobody's ever been able to dive in far enough. But when you look at these pop-up leagues that just come and go in the United States, and they keep popping up for a reason, they keep failing for a lot of other reasons, but it's because there's a want for that. And what I mean by that is there's American networks who want content and are willing to put some money into it. And you just think there's got to be a fit here. Like all these things that Fox um, and whatever network is willing to fund it, the things that they want but don't have, the CFL has the stuff that they don't have. Just like Fox has things that we don't have up here, and that's American greenbacks. And it always kind of amazes me that we've never found that fit. And, and in no way does that mean the league ever should have entered into the partnership with the XFL or the uh, you know or any other league. Because what we have is great. What they have is not so great. So it has to be on our terms. The Canadian teams have to have special privileges in order for it to work. But like anything in life, um, anything that's worthwhile is a challenge. And I feel like that would be a way that the league could grow and also put in um, things that incent teams to actually develop stud Canadian quarterbacks. You know, like if the Canadian quarterback's salary doesn't count against the salary cap, you would see that change pretty quickly so that you can have the Canadian ratio and compete with these American teams who don't have to have the ratio.
4: I hate to interrupt you, Brendan. We have more breaking news. Tiger Woods is done at the Genesis uh, Invitational with an illness. He was plus one through uh, six holes in round two, and he uh, was finished plus two overall. So uh, more breaking news in hour one. I didn't know he still golfed. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he, he was a plus one yesterday. He's very mediocre now. Yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely uh, hit a rough patch.
2: He's seen better days. Hour two for Nelson Holmes, still ahead on this Friday edition of the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM.
1: Welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show, The Sports Cage, on 620 CKRM.
2: The Friday edition of The Sports Cage into Hour 2 for Nelson Homes, supplying home packages and RTMs for over 65 years. Lots of hockey talk still ahead on this edition of the program. We will tee up the weekend home-and-home between the Regina Pats and Swift current Broncos. Very critical home-and-home. And Dante DiCari will have the
4: broadcast of both games at 7 o'clock both nights. McNally, are you doing the game on TV? I am not, but we'll have the Monday Family Day game on Access Now Sports uh, with uh, Calgary coming to town. Very good. Probably won't be as
2: cool as the uh, SpongeBob uniforms, the one night. Those those were hard. Those Those were hard to see. Great cause, but oof. Was that the Medicine Hat game?
4: Yes, uh, Medicine Hat was on uh, also Tuesday night. Though uh, that was a five-four loss for the Pats. But uh, SpongeBob Night, the uh, Pats ended up winning. I want to say in overtime. I think that's. I think overtime. Overtime. I'm Ron Burgundy.
2: <laughs> and also uh, the senior hockey report. Yes, with uh, Barney Shinkruk,
4: the Barn Dog. Go Lumsden Monarchs! I'll tell you that. A little bit of uh, sports line magic yesterday. Oh yes. There was, a, there was a full uh, studio here with... Uh, Generation Xers. Yes. I, I felt very young yesterday. I will say that.
2: <laughs> I'm sure they love <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> That's where a lot of the magic in local sports came from, though. It was really from those STV days and the...
4: And they did talk a lot 80s, about that as 2000s. well. Yeah. So
2: I'm sure they did. And I uh, haven't got it yet on my podcatcher. But uh, I'll be listening to that. Um, Right now, we'll go out on the Western Pizza Hotline, where we are joined by my good pal John Hodge from 3 Down Nation. John, did uh, you and JC listen to the segment we had with AJ Olet earlier this week yet?
6: I have not yet, but I've got my popcorn ready, and I will be downloading it in my podcast app for
2: sure. I hope I'm not overbilling it, but, you know, and uh, look, you fight the good fight on that podcast that you guys do uh, and argue the case for running backs. I think JC is the one analytics nerd who always fights against it, isn't he?
6: Well, look, if you go back to the 1980s, especially 1970s, you know, NFL-wise, it was very frequent for a running back to be taken with the first overall pick in the NFL draft. And, you know, guys like Earl Campbell, you know, some of them became all-time greats some of them were just kind of you know every down ball carriers and i think wisely over time with analytics the pendulum has swung the other way because at the end of the day yeah a great running back is not necessary to win championships however i think the pendulum in the last 10 years has swung too far to the complete other extreme where we pretend that running backs literally don't matter and they're all interchangeable and all you need is a good O-line, and any running back will be super sick. No, that's not true. Uh, a great running back will make your team better. And I think it's time for the pendulum to settle in the middle. We, we don't need running backs going first overall in the draft, but we certainly don't need years where, you know, I suppose this is more of an NFL example, but there have been years where running backs don't go until the late second round. And It's like, come on, if. If running back isn't important, I'm sorry, then why is, why is tight end important? Or why is middle linebacker important? Or why is free safety important? Like These are all positions that are at least somewhat important to winning a championship. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you know the, 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 the highest paid running back has been in the Grey Cup for the last four years. Whether you want to count Andrew Harris or Brady Oliveira or, or AJ Ouellette, who's going to be making a pretty penny this year in Ryderville.
2: Uh, The news about Matthew Betts uh, getting the futures contract with the Detroit Lions, I think that surprised a lot of people because, number one, he has a lot of value up here because of his passport. He is Canadian, and he's 28 years old. The NFL doesn't usually show a lot of interest in players that old. You've kind of aged out by that point. Can you explain how a futures contract works in the NFL, and are you surprised that it came to that?
6: Well, the, the, the rollover for the NFL doesn't happen until I believe it's March. So if you want to sign a player to a deal, you, you have to kind of wait until that, that fresh year. Or you can sign to what's called a reserve-slash-futures deal, which you can kind of sign as an intermediary before the, the official league turnover. Now, I'll, I'll say this, Brendan. best you, you said it's 28. Not only is he 28, he's turning 29 next month. Like, he is, he is for all intents and purposes, a 29-year-old, which is older than we almost ever see players make the jump. I think the last guy to make the jump at this age was Corey Sheet, who did so, you know, 10 years ago after, of course, he helped the Riders win a breakup cup at home in 2013. So it, it's not unheard of for this to happen, but it's certainly rare. Betts was a player who is rumored to be you know, courted by a few teams. BC was obviously one. Hamilton was obviously another to the tune of about $275,000. Now, with that being, you know, like essentially a guaranteed offer, he has rolled the dice here. He told the media, I was in the the video conference earlier this week. It's a one-year deal with the Lions. It does not include any guaranteed money. But an interesting thing he mentioned is that he turned down, or, or rather sources indicated to me that he turned down a, Separate offer from the NFL that did include some guaranteed money. He didn't talk about that directly in the press conference, but the point is, he is confident that he can make the Detroit Lions roster. The Lions, by my count, only have two edge rushers under contract for next season. One of them is Aiden Hutchinson, who is a former second overall pick out of Michigan, a guy who's kind of a, you know, a, a speedy edge defender, a high motor guy. And that's exactly what Matthew Beth is. And he said that high motor ability. That that work ethic is something that really attracted the Lions to him. So it, will he make the team? Entirely possible. He'll get cut and he'll be coming back to the CFL after Labor Day. But, it, you know, I mean, if he does make Detroit, then obviously his gamble will have paid off because even on a, a minimum contract, he will make a lot more money on the active roster in Detroit than he would have even as a superstar in the CFL.
2: It wasn't that long ago I heard Brendan Labat quoted as saying he would have, if he had understood what NFL futures contracts were, signed with I think it was the Pittsburgh Steelers rather than come north. So can you explain? How does an NFL futures contract work?
6: Well, I mean, I I don't know all of the ins and outs, but what I will say... I forget,
2: you're the three-down guy. I'm putting you on the spot.
6: (laughs) What I will say is that the agent here is Sasha Gavami, who's based in Montreal. That is the agent from Benz. Sasha has previously represented Anthony Claire, who spent six years in the NFL. He's also represented Dr. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who made close to $30 million in the NFL. Um, Sasha has also previously represented Samuel Aguavin, who, of course, went back to the NFL, following the spin with the Riders. He's also represented Pierre-Olivier Lesage, who though now has started with the Montreal Alouettes, signed as an undrafted free agent with the Seattle Seahawks. So when it comes to having a high-quality understanding of both leagues, um, an understanding of you know, an agent who knows exactly what to do on both sides of the border... Um, Matthew is getting good advice right now because some agents specialize in one or the other. Very few agents do both. Um, Sasha is one of the people who does both and he does it at a high level and has helped a lot of his clients, not just on the CFL side because he's got a ton of CFL specific clients as well, but on the NFL side as well. So, so Betts, I think is doing a good job of, of getting that proper advice on, on what this deal would be versus what a CFL contract.
2: You'd think an older player and a Canadian player would be safe, like the NFL wouldn't want him, but I guess not true in the case of Matthew Betts. Our guest on the Western Pizza Hotline is John Hodge of Three Down Nation. Perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings, plus Greek food like savlaki, ribs, salads, all the goodness you can't make at home. Call Western Pizza today. Should Ryder fans be sour at all over the fact that Jake Dollegala is now in BC and not here in Regina? He will not develop into the jolly green passing giant some of us foresaw after those first two wins late last season?
6: I like that nickname for uh, the six foot seven passer, the jolly green giant. I suppose he'll have to be uh, the orange and black giant. I, I'm sad because, up because up we had
2: so up. many headline ideas. Jake yeah, the exactly, Giant, and I was hoping that one wandering. of the linemen could could jump on a fumble in the end zone, and I was going to title it, Jake and the Fat Man, or something. You know, there's just so many different ways <laughs> you could get a headline. We never really did get to do that, because the team didn't keep winning.
6: I mean, I am surprised, because it's pretty clear, Jake DeLagala beat out Mason Fine during the 2023 season. Now, it should be noted that the team has Gutted its coaching staff. Obviously, Mark Mueller, as the new offensive coordinator, would presumably have a large say in who the backup quarterback would be behind Trevor Harris. Uh, I, I don't believe Mark Mueller has spoken publicly about uh, Mason Fine yet or Jake Dolagala as his introductory press conference preceded the decision to re sign Mason Fine and not re sign Jake Dolagala. Um, so I'd be curious to hear comment from Corey Mace or, 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 of course, Mark Mueller now that that situation is sorted. But from an outsider's perspective here, just as somebody who watched the games in 2023, I saw Mason Fine play live out in Halifax. He got pulled late in that game, and Jake Doligallo, the first thing he did is he came in and gave the riders a spark, throwing a touchdown down the sideline. And though the, the, the starting record for Jake Doligallo was poor down the stretch last season, he won his first two starts and then lost seven straight. Um, he certainly played better than Mason Fine, right? He had a positive touchdown interception ratio. He showed the ability, not not that he's a freak athlete, but he showed the ability to move around the pocket effectively, take off to run when necessary. And, of course, it's hard to criticize a player of his size. He has really easy time looking over the line of scrimmage. That's something that a quarterback the size of Mason Fine is going to inevitably struggle with. As a guy who's 5'9", five, 5'10", five, he's going to get balls batted down at the line of scrimmage. He's going to have a harder time seeing over some of those taller blockers or or taller defenders. So, you know, clearly there's something the Riders saw that I'm not seeing. But, yes, if you're asking if I was surprised that that's the route the Riders went, I, I was.
2: Well, you know, when you look at uh, Jake, Giant Jake, as I like to call him, uh, his record down the stretch was, what, 2-7 as a starter? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. And, and everybody's so hard on Mason. Well, Mason took over partway through that Calgary game. He threw that incredible Hail Mary that bounced off of um, geez, Moxie. I think it was Moxie who batted it up in the air, and Tevin Jones caught it. Um, they didn't come, you know, they came up a little bit short, but... You know, he gave him a fighting chance. They go into BC a week later, first week that he has the first team reps. Great defense. I don't think anybody expected much. They lost uh, by 10 points. Then the touchdown Atlantic game, that didn't look so good. Again, you're playing the Argos, would probably make any rookie quarterback look below average. Then he showed some moxie in a win over Ottawa. And then he got hurt early in the game in Montreal in a short week. That's not really a fair sample size to judge Mason Fine, is it?
6: (laughs) I appreciate that. And that's, that, that's certainly a fair point. My only issue is this is year three, or this was year three for Mason Fine. And if, if by year three, a quarterback has still not shown that explosiveness, that effectiveness, I, I'm not saying it's impossible that it'll happen. There have been late bloomers in this league. You know, Anthony Calvillo, I think, would be a great example of a guy who was a bit of a late bloomer in his career and obviously ended up being one of the best. Quarterbacks in CFL history. I'm not, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with Mason Fine, but what I am saying is, you know, there there is some precedent at least for guys improving into the later years of their career. But I think Jake Dollegala looked better in year two than than Mason Fine did in year three, so that's part of the reason I'm surprised. But fair enough, and and also, yeah, you know what? Like, it's it's not like Trevor Harris completely lit it up in his four games at the helm, so it's possible that with you know, a healthy Keen and baker an improved run game, you know, uh, an offensive line with Jamarcus Hardrick that's presumably going to be improved and, and provide a little bit more time with the quarterback, maybe Mason Fine will take that next step in 2024.
2: Well, I know a lot of people listening are hoping that. I'm not sure the expectations are really there. But, uh, hey, this has been fun as always. We'll let you go and console JC for me sassing him with AJ Olette on the program earlier this week. And go enjoy the weekend. you have weekend plans?
6: I'm going to be watching the Scotties Tournament of Hearts yes. pretty much every hour of
4: the next three days. I can't My believe. guy. Let's go. Love some curling. <laughs> Get out of here. Have a good weekend. Cheers, Mac. All right. That is
2: John Hodge from Three Down Nation joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Time to break. Still ahead on this edition of the program, the Senior Hockey Report. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM.
1: We're talking sports on your way home. This is The Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM.
4: And welcome back to The Sports Cage. Ryan McNally with Brendan McGuire here. And uh, of course it is uh one of the most wonderful times of years for curling fans. The Scotties Tournament of Hearts kicks off tonight. Uh Saskatchewan's Skyler Ackerman uh begins play against PEI. Uh Team Canada will uh, play against uh Quebec's Laurie St. George in the uh what I will assume will be the TV game, Brendan. As uh we get set to hear some more legendary calls from Vic Router.
7: Canadian Championship right here for Saskatchewan. They're
1: down by three. Waterloo, Waterloo,
8: Waterloo, Backpack,
1: Shot stone yeah. back four. Hard. Ballon Chuck.
7: Cammy Snyder waiting. Now here they go. Are they going to paper that guard center
9: line guard? They got to paper it to get it by. They did. Tap it back. Whoa, whoa,
5: whoa, whoa. Four, three, Saskatchewan, and we're all tied up.
7: Matt yep, Dunstone. Says he loves to make the big oh, shot. Has he got one here?
5: Sure he does. What oh, a shot. <laughs> Curl up, okay. bump it back, look at that.
4: Is there anybody better at curl at uh, calling a curling game than Vic Router? Vic Router and Will Farrell. <laughs> when Ron Burgundy joined for the when he joined Roar of the, the old- Rings, yeah. Or uh, that yeah, that was Roar of the Rings. When so he, that was the qualifiers.
2: He had the telestrator and he was like stamping down all the rocks. He says there's so many rocks, they're practically mating. And <laughs> of all the events that they trotted him out for, I thought that was the perfect one. Uh, you have a favorite memory of the Scotties? watching
4: uh probably yeah probably that in that clip the 2011 uh win for amber holland uh who hails from pretty close to home uh, i believe she's from that bethune area uh i my mom actually babysat her when she was a kid too which well, was kind of cool uh a big deal. So, so watching amber holland win one in 2011 was kind of sweet and uh yeah that was that was probably pretty cool um Yeah, maybe this last time the Scotties was in Regina in two thousand eight. I went to a bunch of those games. Uh, That was fun, and then uh, of course Moose Jaw's in twenty twenty, right before everything shut down. That that was kind of like the last time the last live sporting event. Yeah,
2: Yeah, for sure. No, I I I would agree with that. Uh, For me, I'll go back a little further because I'm a dinosaur. (laughs) Nineteen ninety two in was it ninety two or ninety three? I'm sure it was ninety two in Brandon when Sandra Schmirler that year was still Sandra Peterson. And that was really, really big because they beat Manitoba and Saskatchewan hadn't won in a while. And I felt like it was at a time when, as sports fans, we had kind of a dry spell. There wasn't a lot good happening on the ice for hockey, definitely not on the football gridiron. You know, the riders weren't usually very good those days. Um, The economy wasn't doing well here, and I just thought that was a great moment in – I guess it would have been February, the time of year when you kind of have the blahs. Yeah. Turn that on and to see them beat Manitoba in Brandon. I thought that was the coolest Scotty's moments, at least for me anyways. So to see how that went was uh, pretty cool. Still ahead here in hour two, Chase the Ace with the Saskatchewan Rough Rider Foundation. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Nelson Holmes on Rider Radio 620 CKRM.
1: Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at SportsCage. Now, back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM.
2: Still ahead on this
1: edition of the program, the smile
2: of Swift Current. Ryan Schweitzer will join us in Hour 3 to tee up tonight's Swift Current Bronco, Rajana Pats game from the Brandt Center on this edition of the Sports Gauge presented by Nelson Holmes. But right now, we go down the hallway here at 620 CKRM World Headquarters into the boardroom and are joined by Travis Stewart. Travis, take it away.
10: I like that intro. Every week gets better. We are hanging out with Cindy from the Ryder Foundation. Thanks for coming in.
8: Thanks, Travis, for having me.
10: It is another edition of Chase Ace Rider Edition, supporting the Saskatchewan Rough Rider Foundation. $35,000 sitting in that grand prize jackpot, $1,344 sitting in the weekly prize. We're going to give away some money. This is a fun job, you know? Mm -hmm.
3: Do, not every better. day
10: can you give away money to people and make their day better.
8: Every Friday we do this, don't we? <laughs> this Together. This is fun. This, this is, is awesome. Fun. Yeah.
10: Um, all right. Should we do the spin yep. and see For who sure. our lucky, lucky winner is of $1,344?
8: We have a fellow by the name of Larry Day from Carnduff, Saskatchewan.
10: Carnduff. I've been yeah. there a time or two. Larry Day. All right, we're gonna to try to get Larry on the line, but while we do, let's talk yeah. about the foundation. We've been talking about it week after week. Uh, money that uh, you're putting into these chase ace not only winning you money, but supporting the foundation. And Cindy, you got all the details on what the foundation has been up to.
8: You bet. And uh, being the charitable arm of the football club, we love seeing new players signed, but even better when they really care about the community. Yeah. Um, so we've got a few new ones this week. As everybody's heard, we're Exciting very news. excited. Yeah. They care about Rider Nation and they care about this community. So they'll join our other players, um, in the next few months and, uh, doing great presentations in school. So our players, we've got about six of them going hard in the province uh, right now during the school season next week they get the time off so they're probably all heading somewhere south but because there's no school right but they're delivering um, mental wellness programs to kids and the reading program and so all over the province just over 20,000 kids have been reached wow Mm -hmm.
10: that's incredible you know i I bet you some of these players sign up and they're like oh saskatchewan uh, what's that going to be like and then they move here they get involved in the community, they do events like this, and then they make Saskatchewan their home even after they're done being a Riders player.
8: That's right. So there's a few reasons they make their, the Saskatchewan their home. One is that they get to work for the Rider Foundation, and they get to do great stuff in the community. The second is sometimes they find they're forever here, which is really awesome because yeah. then they're staying. They're not leaving.
10: That That's incredible. That's incredible. So you find this very rewarding, I'm guessing, people going out and talking mental health, talking about reading, talking about everything involved with the foundation. That's going to be rewarding for these players to be involved because, you know, they go in this field and they play the game, but they don't get to go out and see everyone from time to time. They don't can't shake hands with every kid in the crowd. They wish they could, but going to these schools and actually seeing these students, that's got to be rewarding.
8: Yeah, and, and uh, when they do go into the school, they sign autographs with the kids, and everybody gets a picture, and so they get that love everywhere in this province.
10: Great. Well, let's see if we ever – I already forget the name.
8: His name is <laughs> – you stole my name Are you on the me? line with
10: us? Hello, are you there? Hello. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, we, we wrote your name down, and then we ran the paper, and I Larry, forget. Larry, Larry. Was it Larry?
8: Yes. Yeah.
10: Larry, how are you doing on this beautiful Friday? Uh, pretty good. Sounds like
4: better now, anyway.
10: Well, it should be better. You just won 1344 bucks. That's not
6: bad. That will do.
10: That will do, Larry. So uh, we currently have over $35,000 in that grand prize jackpot. All you have to do is draw that ace. So we got numbers one through fifty two. Eight, thirteen, fourteen, thirty four, and forty nine have been picked so far. So do you have a lucky number in mind? How about number ten? Lucky number ten is on the board still. Let's see. If you win thirty five thousand dollars, what are you buying, Larry?
1: I don't know. Maybe a new Harley Davidson, maybe. <laughs> oh, that would be cool.
10: <laughs> Money well spent there. Let's see. Yeah. We're ripping over number 10. It is a two of hearts, unfortunately. <laughs> but that's all right. You won 1300 yeah. bucks there, Larry. 1300 Okay. Sounds good. I don't know if that's going to buy you a bike, but it'll buy you no. some days. Nice. <laughs>
1: They'll buy a seat or something. I guess. There you or go.
10: There you go. Well, thank you for supporting the foundation and buying some tickets, and tell your friends and family to do so. Hey, sounds good. All right. Thanks for calling hey. in. Thanks for listening. Hey. You bet. Listen, Bye. that was another successful one. $1 Thirteen hundred bucks in somebody's yeah. pocket.
8: Yeah. And the pot goes higher again next week.
10: And how do we buy tickets if somebody wants to get involved?
8: Starting at 5 o'clock, you go to Riderville.com or um fifty fifty Foundation, and you'll be able to buy your tickets. It's really easy. Um, you can go with other people and buy a bigger pack. gives you more chance to win. Or a subscription, which will get your name in every week, and you can blast out of here and you don't have to worry about
10: it. There you go. Get the coworkers, friends, family involved. Mm-hmm. Have some fun with it. Uh, office pool. Get together. Yeah. Support the foundation and maybe win some big money. That's right. Well, thank you for coming yep. in again. Thank you. This is next been Friday. Another edition of Chase the Ace Rider Edition.
1: You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Still ahead on this Friday
2: edition of the Sports Cage, the Senior Hockey Report with Barney uh, Shinkruck. There, I fumbled that enough. Barney Shinkruck will have the Senior Hockey Report in our number three and we will tee up the Pats weekend too very big weekend they just keep getting bigger and bigger as we get through these final six weeks of the season and they have that big long road trip Uh, that they have to do. Very odd that the Pats have to do a road trip at the end of February, but it is what it is with the... Usually they vacate for the um, agribition or Grey Cup some years, and this year it's all about the briar coming in, so they decided to push that off, and so these home games just become more and more important. You know, I did a year riding in the Iron Lung with the Windsor Spitfires around Ontario, and people at the time who I thought were going to be nobodies forever... Um, have actually gone on to be somebodies and vice versa. And I'll give you an example. Robbie Schremp, um, I think he was averaging four points a game for a good part of that season with the London Knights. And he was a high draft pick of Edmonton. They had already sent him a whack of cash. And I said, he's going to be a superstar in the NHL. Never happened. Wojtek Wolski, I thought he would be a superstar in the NHL. Never happened. And Steve Downey, who was a star with Windsor at the time, Never became a superstar in the NHL. And then there were other players and people who went on to great things. Brian Bickle had a really nice career with the Chicago Blackhawks. Jordan Stahl, um, nice player with Peterborough. Never thought he would be anywhere near where his brothers were, and he turned out to be a pretty big star in the uh, the NHL. So you just never know when you go and you watch the Pats or the Warriors or whoever who's out there on the ice who's going to be a big star. I never thought Josh Morrissey would have the career he's having or Leon Dreisaitl, but... What do I know? And, um, you know, when when I look at, um, you know, these star players, it'll be interesting for fans to get a look at Connor Geeky, who comes in with the Swift Current Broncos uh, tomorrow night and Saturday night. And I think that's a big part
4: of the draw at this point, isn't it, for the Pats? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, come to think of it. Tanner Howe leads the Pats in points. He only has four points less than Connor Geeky, who's, uh, I believe, uh, draft pick of the NHL last season. So, you know, it's, you know, there's, there's some talent on the Pats still. Granted, this season maybe hasn't, it, I think it's gone as expected for the Pats, but, uh, you know, obviously the team would like to finish better than they're finishing right now, but... uh you know, yeah, there's still some good players on the paths, good draft eligible players as well. There's a talk that uh, Tanner Howe could go anywhere in the late first to early second round. And then, of course, the Vaughn twins uh, could end up uh, getting their name called by a team at some point. Jackson
2: and Corbin. Corbin. Thank you. And Braxton was Whitehead, Braxton they Jackson, Whitehead, yes. and Braxton. A lot of
4: X's on the team. I'm glad those are first names, not uh, last names, because uh, the Pats' uh, jersey department might uh, be running low on the on the X's for uh, for names, especially when you're doing the broadcast. Uh,
2: you can chime in on the Capital Ford Lincoln text line three zero six nine three six sixty two sixty two. You know, we had the news channel on here in the studio, and they keep bringing up this story of. Uh, Um, That Russian, Alexei Navalny, I guess uh, Putin finally got him. And very, very sad. And, you know, listen, this is a program where I think anybody or most of us who come on the air, it's not to jump all over people. It's to bring people up. And I don't hate anyone. But I hate the Russians. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and it's no different. Um, There was a really good story that came on a little while ago. Kevin O'Leary, you know who Kevin O'Leary is? Yeah, Yeah, from Shark Tank. And he, uh, he did an interview, and this is a pretty cool story. It's funny because he's actually a big supporter of the CBC. And he was a runner, I guess, in the early 80s. He did something for Hockey Night in Canada when he was just a young kid. Not unlike yourself. He was probably even younger than you at the time. And he tells the story of Harold Ballard of how they had a game against the Soviets one night in the early 1980s. And uh, Ralph Mellonby, the producer of Hockey Night in Canada, decided for the three stars, they were going to choose one of the Soviets to be a star. So Kevin O'Leary runs over and he explains this to Harold Ballard. And Harold says, uh-uh, it's not happening. He says, what do you mean? <laughs> he says, I don't like him. He says, you tell him if that happens, I'm pulling the breaker. Because in the old Maple Leaf Gardens, it was such a dump. You could probably, he probably could do that. He could probably just walk over in his... um crappy dumpy little press box area down at ice level and he could just pull the plug and so he said sure enough he went up he told Ralph Ralph said whatever star number two whoever it was let's say it was Vyacheslav Fedosov, comes skating out on the ice and he said for the first time ever hockey night in Canada went dark (laughs) and and after Kevin O'Leary said he said I always admired him
4: for that because that took guts well, that's Harold Ballard for you. Um according to one Clark's book, uh Bleeding uh, Blue and White, I think is the title. Uh Harold Ballard quite literally lived at Maple Leaf Gardens. Like that guy bled blue and white and he was all about the team. And uh, I think that's a side we didn't really we saw it in glimpses and we kind of just chalked it up as all oh, that that crazy old guy right running the you know Toronto Maple Leafs but like the guy genuinely passionately cared about Toronto and the Toronto Maple Leafs and if you weren't a Toronto Maple Leafs guy in that locker room then you weren't in that locker room for very long.
2: Yeah, I don't know that it was Pal Hell's patriotism necessarily who went to do that, but he was pretty loyal. But he would he would do funny things like um, he would tell Gord Stelic, because he owned the Hamilton Ticats too, Oh yeah, and uh, he would say, come on, do something, piss off the fans, and he would uh, announce Ticat gear on sale in the store, right? And this is at a time that most people would be Argo fans, so... But um, there was a really good documentary that came out. I think it was about a year ago on the CBC. Uh, Jason Priestley did it. Yes. It's very well done. That might have been the best sports documentary I've ever seen. And um, I thought it was cool how at the end they pointed out that most of his estate went to charity. And that's pretty cool because that shows another side. It's kind of like George Steinbrenner. Everybody said he actually had a giant heart. He just didn't want anybody to know about
4: it. Yeah. That's true, and he also threw a, a fair amount of money, allegedly, at uh, Notre Dame as well as uh, you know the Leafs in Wilcox. In Wilcox, because the the Leafs did draw a few players from Notre Dame, and uh, that was uh, you know the curse of the Hounds, because apparently, in you know as part of the deal that the Notre Dame Hounds were supposed to get a sum of uh, Harold Ballard's estate when he passed away. And it never came, never came, never came. So uh, they say that adds to the Toronto Maple Leafs curse uh, Mm. for not getting a Stanley Cup. But uh, believe what you choose, I guess, is the message in that one, Brendan.
2: And and how I started the conversation, like about the Russians, just to clarify, I don't hate the Russian people. I hate the Russian leadership because uh, I don't know. That's the only real big worry. It feels like in the world, like people aren't even worried about Trump. They're worried about Trump and Putin and what they might do together. What were you going to say?
4: I miss a world where we just kind of hated the Russians at the World Juniors. Yeah. Or the the Russians at the Olympics.
2: That's what sports is supposed to be. It's no different than the story I told a couple weeks ago about um, what Keith Olbermann said right after 9-11. He walked down to the ruins. He just thought he'd pay his respects. And there was an NYPD cop who came over and said, "Hey, you're that guy on TV, aren't you?" He says, "Yeah." He says, "Hey, what do you think of my Mets? Do you think they could? Uh, you think they can win the division?" And Keith Olbermann says, "Who cares about the Mets? What do you care about the Mets?" And the and he said the cop put it in perspective for him. He said, "Well, I I know it doesn't matter. None of it ever matters." He says, "I've got 500 friends who are dead, and you know we're going to be working long hours trying to sift through this for the next few weeks, but." Every night I can go home, um, cook something, put my feet up and watch and pretend like it does matter. And that's what the magic of sport is supposed to be, right? We get to feel a little bit of reality into something that's not really real. And none of this, it's the toy department of life. Bob Stoffer said that when he was on the show. I think he said that just about every time he's been on this program. And uh, I couldn't agree
4: more. How about the riders making some moves? Ryan Skevier. Yes. I think that's how we say his name. I, I like this move uh here, uh, Brendan, is you know, the Riders again still have to upgrade an offensive line that's been troublesome, we'll say, over the last two years. Obviously, yeah, I think yes, got better last season, but uh still work to do, and uh they had an offensive lineman, a Canadian offensive lineman too. I
2: almost feel like they're it's almost overkill at this point. It's like um last year they added uh Peter Godber and then this year they get Jamarcus Hardrick and then they get Skevier, and you know I'm sure they'll have more import tackles in camp like they've done the last few years and we're gonna add AJ Olat, who's supposed to be a great blocker as far as running backs go and we have the quarterback who gets the ball out faster than anybody it just you know we all thought or a lot of us thought that the focus would be on the defensive side because of the new head coach Sure doesn't feel that way, does it, when you look at free agent signings? It feels like they're still really zeroed in on some kind of mandate, probably from Jeremy O'Day, maybe even from Craig Reynolds. You guys cannot screw this up. We have to get this O-line right. If we get everything else wrong or if we have a bad season, this is something we've decided we're going to draw a line in the sand and we're going to get this right.
4: I'm really glad a former offensive lineman in Jeremy O'Day, now the general manager of the Saskatchewan Roughriders. Is upgrading an offensive line that again has struggled right and yes it's my is it overkill well can you ever have too many good canadian offensive linemen not with can the you, way
2: the ratio is structured
4: exactly yeah. right and can you ever have too many good american offensive linemen even right because injuries happen right that that's just the way it's like one of the more physical you know tough on your body positions and in, in the league in the sport, really if you want to even look at it from an nfl perspective right it is just a physical you're hitting someone every play on the offensive line or someone's hitting you which uh you know it's you got to make sure that uh, you can keep an offensive line healthy but uh, also have guys in place you know for when your star or your studs go down right and i'm not even saying that Skeevier is gonna you know be a backup or anything like he'll definitely slot into starting offensive line here in Saskatchewan probably on the
2: inside I'm guessing he's played a lot of
4: games in I'd guard. assume yeah because again that's mostly a Canadian spot anyway, is guard right so mm-hmm. you, they usually save the tackles for the Americans but uh yeah definitely uh liking this signing for sure for the Riders
2: yeah I think Philip Blake going down the way he did last year was uh was a real kick in the you know what but they obviously seem to think he still has some football left in him to bring him back but the other problem is with American, like we've gone through different eras where teams had no American offensive linemen because you have to have seven Canadian starters. Now there was a time when you had to have nine and it's opened up a little bit. But because of the differences in the American game and the Canadian game, I think that plays a big part of it, too. Just given the fact that these guys have not been trained to block somebody a yard off the ball,
4: it's totally different that extra yards, yes and like a yard doesn't seem like a ton to folks like us there brendan but Who've uh, never played the sport well or at a high level no no exactly right like i played one season of high school ball but i like, played that's none you ahead of me yeah. right and but like you know there's so much more time with that one yard for the defensive lineman to do a move or you can disguise a blitz even a little bit better with the one yard back, right? Like it's, it's a lot harder than it looks for the offensive line up here in Canada, and uh I definitely think it's you know something to watch uh, for this Riders' O line as they continue to get better.
2: Well, and I I also think it underscores the importance of a good running back, but actually giving the running back the ball. Like West yeah. Cates, I thought made a great point on the uh, post game show one night. He said, what does it take for a decent running back to get a decent amount of carries in this league anymore? It used to be the unwritten rule that you gave a running back 20 carries and if he couldn't, you know, hit his totals, 100 yards, whatever, that was on him. But if you were lower than that, that was on you. And Robert Mims says, well, it's not quite like that. You know, 15 is okay. You expect to catch a few screens on top of that. And we just don't see those numbers for the most part around the league. And I think... I, I think that's where you save your offensive line is when you have a decent running game and you give them a good amount of carries because I don't think any lineman truly loves pass protection. And I think that's just a change that they have to make and that's how they're going to have to focus. And I, I still think it could have worked with Jamal Morrow, although maybe not now with the news that he failed his physical, but AJ Olette. Um, is going to have to be a pretty key part of this offense if they're going to get out of these doldrums these uh, that they've had these last couple seasons with the 6-12 records. Coming up in Hour 3, a ton of hockey talk. You are listening to The Sports Cage for Nelson
1: Holmes on Rider Radio, 620 CKRM. Welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show, The Sports Cage on 620 CKRM.
2: And it is the Friday edition of the Sports Cage for Nelson Home, supplying home packages and RTMs for over 65 years. Brennan McGuire and Ryan McNally in hour three of the program. Still ahead, this week's Senior Hockey Report with Barney Shinkruck. And lots of hockey talk here in hour three. Of course, the Regina Pats kicking it off. With the Swift Current Broncos tonight, 7 o'clock puck drop at the Brant Center. I'm sure many of you listening on your way to the city, to the game, and they'll do it all again tomorrow night in Swift Current. Both games will be here on the almighty 620 CKRM, the pregame show with Dante DiCaria. Puck drop just after 7. And for that, we go out right now to the Western Pizza Hotline. We are joined by the smile of Swift Current, Ryan Schweitzer, and uh, before we talk about the hockey stuff, what's this about you guys stealing our manager now for the 57s?
11: Yeah, you know what? Uh, it, 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 that was a good bump or, or a good bounce for the uh, Swift Current 57s organization. We're very, very excited to to have Jason Vena. You know, a guy who had some great success with that Regina Red Sox organization. Uh, apply his trade in Swift Current this summer. We're, uh, we're we're very much looking forward to to seeing Jason in Swift Current. And yeah, he he definitely had some success in Regina.
2: Joe Carnahan was very well known out there for all the success uh, in all the years that he managed that ball club, back-to-back championships. And I think it was you who pointed out that that came to an end in 2018 uh, one of my favorite calls, there will be no 3 Pete. And uh, Bernie Eisworth wanted to see the look on your face with that one as we had a little fun up in the press box that night when the storm came in, and I think the game lasted till about midnight, and there weren't many people left for the greatest finish in WCBL history, maybe not if you're a Swift Current fan. Uh, but it was Jason Vena who came. He wasn't managing that year, but he had joined the Red Sox staff, had an incredible impact, and then the next year took over as manager, and beat Swift Current out of the playoffs. Again, is this as much about pulling in the Swift Current 57's killer as it is finding a replacement for the last manager?
11: Right. uh, If you can't beat them, hire them. Uh, a very wise person, someone much smarter than me, once uh, once said that. And uh, and yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, a guy like Jason Vena, who, who was available, who has that track record. Uh, if he becomes available, you certainly call. And and it was great that we were able to put pen to paper and and get him here because, as you mentioned, uh, Joe Carnahan, he had an unbelievable run in Swift Current. Uh, you know, not just as uh, as a coach, but as a player as well. Uh, Banners were hung at Mitchell Field with him there, and, uh, you know, he had the opportunity to go and, and pay the mortgage with baseball and, and have a full-time job with the Saskatoon Berries organization, and uh, we wish him nothing but the best of luck there, uh, except, obviously, when they're when playing the Swift Current 57s, but, uh, you know, that, that WCBL, it's a growing league, it's getting more and more competitive, and uh you know Jason Vena is a guy with a proven track record and uh it's it's going to be an exciting season coming up Jason Vena and Swift Current the Saskatoon Berries organization which is making a huge splash in the league and and not to mention ever growing programs all over the place Moose Jaw under Eric Marriott has figured out uh you know how to consistently be in the conversation when it comes to league championships. And, of course, there's some, some amazing organizations in Alberta. So it's, it's going to be uh, a lot of fun this year
2: going to the ballpark no matter who's in town. I love that name Saskatoon Berries, McNally. What do you think?
4: Oh, I love it, too. Like That's, that's got to be original. one of the better ones in uh, the WCBL, for sure. Schweitzer, was that your choice?
2: Uh, I, was,
11: uh, I was all in on the Cobra Chickens. I think that was one of the names there. But uh, you know what? Uh, it, it's fun. They're, they're having a lot of fun with it. And, uh, and that's what baseball should be. You know, summer ball, these players come up here and, uh, and they always have a fun experience. There is, of course, the business side of, of wanting to win and go deep in the playoffs. But it's, it's fun. And, and baseball should be fun.
2: One of the names that was proposed for the NHL team that the great Bill Hunter had pursued for Saskatoon when he was going after the St. Louis Blues, the Toonberries. Kevin Waugh gave me that little nugget. Uh, Our guest on the Western Pizza Hotline is Ryan Schweitzer of Swift Current 57 and Swift Current Broncos fame. Perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings, plus Greek food like souvlaki, ribs, salads, all the goodness you can't make at home. Call Western Pizza today. Okay, let's talk about your hockey team out in uh, Speedy Creek. A lot of attention back at the trade deadline, bringing in Connor Geeky, among others. And looking right now, right in the middle of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference. Are the locals happy and satisfied with the return on their trade deadline investment so far?
11: Uh, you know what? There, there's a cautious optimism in Swift Current right now in regard to that. Uh, Connor Geeky, of course, a big buy at the trade deadline. You got to part with a couple first rounders to bring in an elite talent like that. And uh, you know they also upgraded their their blue line by bringing in 20 year old Tyson Galloway from the, the Calgary Headman. And and there's an optimism when you take a look at the standings. You referenced that Brendan Swift Current in the thick of it. Uh, they're four points behind Red Deer for the fourth spot, and it's looking like a potential first-round playoff matchup with Swift Current and Red Deer. Uh, they're four points behind with a game at hand, and they do have two games against Red Deer. So so Swift Current very much feels that they could leapfrog Red Deer in the standings, and, you know, even the more optimistic types are thinking that they could catch Medicine Hat for top spot in the division right now. They are, they've played the same number, or, or pardon me, they have a game in hand with Med Hat, they're eight points behind them, but they do have several games against the Tigers down the stretch. So there's uh, there's some cautious optimism in, in Swift right now after a, a busy deadline for general manager Chad Leslie.
2: So a, lo- a lot of changes. There was the coaching change early on in the season, and and then you have the trade deadline thing happening. And even though the team's record probably hasn't been as consistent as the locals would like since the trade deadline, do you think this could be a scenario where maybe it just takes a couple of months for everybody to feel each other out and then round into peak form once it matters when the playoffs start?
11: Well, you're asking a Swift current Bronco homer here, so uh, you're, you're going to get... The answer's a is an a emphatic draft.
2: yes, of course. <laughs>
11: yeah. Absolutely, but uh, you know, you look at Swift in their last 10, 5-3-2-0. Uh, they're hovering around 500. Uh, this is a team that uh, five on five, they're playing some great hockey. And you look at their forwards one through nine, they stack up with anybody in the league. You look at their top four defensemen when everyone's healthy and they stack up with anyone in the league and read Dick in the net. Um, he's, he's as good a Western League goaltender as, as you could ask for. So it's all there. I, the big thing with the Swift Current Broncos, and uh, I, I'm sure there's some hockey pundits that, that maybe have an answer to it, but their power play has struggled, struggled mightily. And it's, it's tough to pinpoint exactly why when you look at the talent that they have. But in, in the past month, they, they had a stretch of 30-plus of straight power plays without a goal. So if, if they can figure out that power play and, you know, consistently be around that 25 to 30 percent mark, uh, this is a team that could, that's going to make some noise.
2: Do you feel like the fact there's been so much change all in, during the season that could be part of the problem with that?
11: Well, yeah, and the Swift and Broncos, they've been they've been hammered by the injury bug this year. Um you know, Tyson Galloway, 20 year old defenseman, acquired at the deadline. Uh, he went down against the Moose Jaw Warriors about a month ago. Uh, he's out of the no contact jersey in practice. He may go this weekend, his first game action in around a month. And uh, that would be the. And, and Caleb Y. Rostock, a 20 year old as well, uh, he's listed week to week on the WHL injury report. So. It'll be nice if if we can get those two 20-year-olds back in the lineup. But, yeah, the Swift Current Broncos have not had the opportunity this season, save for literally a game or two, to play with a full roster. And, uh, you know, once once everybody's going, and if this team can keep that injury bug out of the dressing room again, that's, uh, that's another potential key to the success of this organization. Because the injury bug... Um, it's, it's just nipped away at, at the Broncos this season. And, yeah, that, that certainly affects team chemistry when you have guys who are in and out of the lineup so much.
2: Just the one win for the Pats against uh, Speedy Creek so far this season. I think back to when both of these teams were at the top of the heap and it was a really nice rivalry, at least for a little while, in, um, I'm going to say, 2017, 2018, when they were in yeah. the... Well, you know, when uh, well Swift Current had them on the mat, uh, the the one year when the Pats went all the way to the finals and lost to uh, Seattle. And then a year later, it was Swift who turned the tables, beating Regina out in the first round. Felt like they were on, on top together, went through the bottom of the cycle together. The Pats had the Bedard mania that was last year. But let's be honest, outside of that, that was a pretty mediocre season. And it's another transition year. I I feel like you have to feel pretty good if you're a Swift Current Bronco fan, to see that you're right in the thick of it when another team that was right with you still has never really recovered since then.
11: Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's interesting here, and I, I realize that I'm on a Regina radio station, but, uh, you know, being a, a Swift Current Bronco fan and talking to other fans around the rink, uh, th- there's a good chunk of our fan base that cheers harder for Regina to lose than for the Broncos to win. <laughs> you know, the the, the it's like fire the that, fans. The, it, well, exactly. Yeah, the uh, the fire that uh, burns Regina warms Bronco fans, and uh, but but you know what, junior hockey it's it's so cyclical, and uh, yeah, you know what, as a longtime Bronco fan, uh, you know you you like to beat Regina whenever you can, but you know you also recognize the, the cyclical nature of things and, and how things can can certainly swing in a year or two, um, but yeah, the Br- Bronco Nation is. Uh, is, is uh, certainly smiling a little bit looking at the standings as of today where, where those two respective teams are, Brennan.
4: Ryan, I uh, love the first name. Not a fan of the team that uh, you're rooting for, but uh, that's all right. Uh, obviously, the Broncos are struggling a little financially. Uh, that's kind of been a, a common theme in uh, junior hockey in Saskatchewan a little bit. Uh, how How beneficial would a good playoff run be for this organization?
11: Massive. Uh, and, and you got it right. Uh, you know, COVID didn't do, uh, any junior hockey teams, any favors, but, uh, you know, the Broncos are a small market miracle. The fact that they're able to, to consistently make a go of it in a league that is dominated by, by big centers. And, you know, the, the innovation Plex and Swift current uh, is 2,875. That's a sellout. Uh, that, that's a section in some other rinks, you know? So, so they got to work twice as hard to accomplish half as much. And, uh, You know, I think that that was another big reason why they chose to make a big buy at the deadline because uh, you you just have to hit the the Goog machine, the Google, and and look at the last few years to know that there's been some financial losses for this community-owned team. And, uh, you know, they they need a big playoff run, and and they need revenue. Uh, Financially, you're you're right. Alarm bells are ringing in this market. And, uh, you know, two or three rounds in the playoffs you know, I don't want to push any panic buttons and say that they're a must, but, uh, after some lean years financially, uh, yeah, a, a bit of a run here would be huge.
2: Well, and you have an opportunity to do it this weekend against a team that the Broncos have done well against so far this season. Uh, if you get the sweep and a little help elsewhere, your Broncos might even leapfrog the Red Deer Rebels and, uh, Better yet for Swift Current fans who hate the Pats, maybe uh, set up the curtains, uh, exit stage for the Pats if they uh, lose both games this weekend and fall further behind in the playoff chase. Puck drop tonight at 6... Sorry, pregame show at 6.30. Uh, Puck drop at 7 o'clock here on the almighty 620 CKRM. Ryan, enjoy the games, enjoy the weekend. We'll talk again soon.
11: Hey, hey, right on. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks so much.
2: That is Ryan Schweitzer uh, from Swift Current who... uh, I think he's still on city council, local legend. I know uh, he, uh, that they, they hosted the 57 sportsman's dinner and it's not, listen, I'm not sure there are too many events in the province that mirror what the Regina Red Sox do for their sportsman's dinner. The one in Swift current was still pretty good. It was on a smaller scale, but they had JPR and Sebia um, and Ricky Romero out there and just the two of them and Switzer up on stage Chatting with everybody, taking questions from the crowd. It was a pretty cool event, and uh, he does a good job covering it all. Uh, should be a go- this is a pretty big game tonight for both teams. So yeah, absolutely. You for- talk about meaningful games late in the year. I think this is about as meaningful as it gets if you're the Regina Pats with a year like this. Time to break. It's a Friday sports cage for Nelson Holmes on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. You've
0: worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss, and if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at lifeLock.com/aware.
1: Terms apply. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan riders is on the sports cage, right here on the mighty 620 CKRM. It's a Nelson
2: Holmes Friday edition of the Sports Cage. And Derek Dennis. Remember him? Oh, yes. Just the one year? Yeah, I think it was just the one year he did with the Riders. Got the big payday and didn't do so well. People noticed that he was on social media a lot more than maybe he needed to be. And I think he struggled enough that they had to put him at guard. And so that was the end of his time here. Anyways, he just wrote on Twitter... Furland and Skevier, if I'm saying his name right, might be best guard combo in league. Very good signing by Mace and company. That from Derek Dennis. So some high wow. praise from someone who I don't know that he really likes saying nice things about the Rough Riders, but he might like to say nice things about Corey Mace. Seems like he's a pretty popular guy everywhere he goes. Even people from outside of the 306 seem to universally think that the Riders got the best head coaching hire in the offseason.
4: Yeah, you know, uh, a guy that, uh, from all things I've heard, just demands the room, right? And uh, that's, I think, the kind of coach the Riders have needed, uh, you know, the last little while. And I'm glad I'm I'm looking forward to this season. Now that uh, this offensive line's looking a little more solid, you know, I'm not going to see Trevor Harris's uh, jersey get stained too much with uh, Mosaic Stadium turf. So I'm thinking this will be a this will be a good season. Still pretty important that he stays healthy. I
2: Absolutely. Think. And, it, you know, if they have, but it, that's true for any starting quarterback around the league. Uh, you you found something online. We were talking about the Blades and the Toonberries and the Saskatoon Berries baseball franchise that's kicking off this year in the WCBL.
4: Yeah. Um am just about to post it to Facebook and Twitter at SportsCage for both of those uh, social media channels. Uh, when the Saskatoon blades host the Lethbridge hurricanes on March the first, they'll be wearing some special edition Saskatoon berries jerseys. These things are beautiful. Brendan, I'm telling you right now, third Jersey, they are a Jersey, whatever. They are like a third or fourth Jersey that, uh, it may be like a sale for, uh, you know, a charity of some kind, but, uh, Oh, these are nice. Purple with the baby blue and the white. Like, these are some good, good jerseys.
2: And an ode to Bill Hunter's pursuit of the St. Louis Blues, who had the same colors as the Blades. And ultimately, it was determined they would have been called the Saskatchewan Blues. But for a while, uh, the discussion was that they were going to be called the Toonberries. I was going to say, not that you have asked. I'm going to tell you anyways. The person who was supposed to be the head coach of that team. Ooh. You got caught me on the spot. I'll give you a hint. He was here for the Winter Classic and got fired. Pro Bill Peters? No, no, no. Oh, Paul Maurice, Don, Les, Cherry. Really? Wow. We were never able. I never got a hold of Don Cherry to confirm that when I did the uh, the little radio documentary on that. But everybody, there were clips of uh, Wild Bill telling everybody that that was his choice, and uh, when. Apparently, there had been discussions because he was just working for Hockey Night, and there was a clip of Don Cherry after the uh, the Board of Governors rejected the move, and Don Cherry says, I'm going to go on Hockey Night in Canada and express how angry I am about this. And uh, more recently, when the economy here was on fire, like in the late 2000s, early 2010s, uh, Don Cherry was interviewed, and he said, I go on the business, I watch the Business Network all the time, and... They have potash, they have oil, they have agriculture. You know, I watch Business Channel. I know they can support an NHL team there. And, you know, you kind of chuckle and you think, well, who might argue with an economist like Don Cherry? But uh, I'll I'll leave you with one more piece. Um, The guy whose money was backstopping that NHL team that was supposed to play in Saskatoon that actually bought the franchise, the St. Louis Blues, um, a guy named Les Dubé. If you, if you drive into Saskatoon, there's the old, uh, the lighthouse that says the less and Irene Dubé lighthouse, um, because they were big donors to that too. And when I interviewed everybody, everybody almost universally agreed that it never would have worked, you know, just with the way the dollar tank, it would have been fun for maybe five years. Uh, even Wild Bill's son, Bart, was kind of skeptical that it ever really would have lasted long term. I get to less and he says, of course it would have worked. And I said, how can you say that he said we have the best fans in the world and i said yeah he said look at how we support the riders and i said yeah but we don't have an nhl team all these other cities have nhl teams he says yeah it was like that before calgary got an nhl team and edmonton etc and you know i thought about it he's not wrong he wasn't wrong so we'll leave you with that still ahead in this edition of the program the senior hockey report with Barney Shinkruck. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Nelson Holmes on Rider Radio, 620 CKRM.
1: Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the mighty 620 CKRM.
2: Brendan McGuire and Ryan McNally with you in hour three of this Nelson Holmes Friday edition of the 620 CKRM Sports Cage. They're saying Trump's going to have to pay over $350 million. They just keep nailing him to the wall. It seems like every week there's a new story. I, I read somewhere that the Associated Press has suggested that he was out of cash, almost out of cash, at the start of February. I'll believe it when I see it. I, I, I choose to believe that every dog has its day, and he'll probably has have his too. But I'll believe it when I see it. It seems like every time we write him off... He comes right back, and he you just almost, finds a way, man. Yeah, and you almost well, he's persistent. You have to give that to him. Um, but it seems like the more they pick on him, the stronger he gets. I don't know. Sometimes you wonder if they just leave him alone. Uh, I I heard one joke. Can we just make both of these guys go away, Biden and Trump? It, I mean, I you know, I, a country let, that big, those are your two options. Yeah, right. And you, you, we we say that every four years, but you know, it doesn't bother me that Joe Biden is in his eighties. I think that's uplifting that somebody in their 80s can have the most powerful job in the world and do it competently. And And whether he's doing it competently or not is a matter of opinion and subject. But to just say, oh, my God, you know, they have once they reach a certain age, they can't do it. I don't buy that. Well, and it's almost
4: like a minimum age that you have to be now.
2: Well, I think I think by law, I think you have to be 35. Yeah, which I probably support. All these millennial punks trying to <laughs> run the world all these
4: youngins out here right Brendan
2: I don't fit in 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 any of the demographics like I'm too young to be part of Generation X and uh, I pick on my parents who are baby boomers they're brats the baby boomer the baby boomers for the longest time got whatever they wanted I, I remember the old man telling me that he wanted a certain kind of hat and sure enough right away it was there at PD Mart or wherever And so the baby boomers carried such a big stick. You might remember the controversy around uh, Jay Leno and Conan O'Brien. Remember when um, Jay Leno said, See, in five years, Conan, five years came, Conan came on. Anybody under the age of 50 loved Conan O'Brien, but the baby boomers were such brats. (laughs) <laughs> that they started moving over to David Letterman. So NBC said, can't have that. So they brought back Jay Leno. And then it finally fizzled when uh, when they replaced him with Jimmy Fallon. So but <clears throat> baby boomers want, baby boomers get. And I was not part of that generation because I don't fit in there. I didn't fit into Generation X. And I'm too old to fit the millennials. And I'm okay with that. I'm at peace with that. Okay. Time for the senior hockey report with our good pal and host of the Monday Nooner podcast, Barney Shinkrock.
4: It appears to not be working, as I'm not hearing anything. So, well, we'll
2: we'll, we'll work on that. And uh,
4: that's a very popular program Barney has, and
2: uh, he has some really good interviews on there too. I know that uh, he's. He had a good chat with Bob Strum, the old general manager of the Regina Pats, and coached in the early to mid-80s. Probably the best era of Pats hockey
7: since. We're ready to go? We should be. Let's read it roll. It's Cage Senior Hockey Report from the Monday Nooner, brought to you by Synergy AG, your crop input retailer. Locations all across Saskatchewan, you're getting your crop in the ground this year, give Synergy AG a chance to pitch, see what they can do for you. Locations everywhere. Like I said, Synergy AG always supporting local hockey. Milzy here with me this week for the report. And Milzy, there are so many provincial games around the province this weekend, and there's league games. Senior hockey absolutely buzzing. The burgers are going to be on the grills, the cold GWs going down. Tonight, game number two in Lumsden, Drake in town. You were at game number one. Give me your rundown of how that A division game one went.
9: I think that uh, it really was a a back and forth game to start. Drake came out and put the pressure on, got an early goal to go up 1-0. And then Lumsden kind of took over and it went back and forth. I'd say the next two periods were pretty even. And then the third period, Lumsden sort of took control and we get an eventual game winner from the off the stick of ex-Cougar, Mike Escra. makes a little dangle down, deeks a guy, dangle through the legs of a D-man and roofs it under the bar to give them a 5-3 lead. Drake pulled the goalie, made it close at the end to make it 5-4, but that's all they could get. So I'm, uh, I'm expecting a big, big crowd and a really fantastic hockey game. That's tonight. In Lumsden, Balcaris and Wynyard also
7: tonight. Game number two, Balcaris on the ropes in this best of three. They need to bounce back. Hey, tomorrow we got Milestone going into the OCHAP First Nation to take on Round Lake in game number two. I was at game one last week in Milestone. The place was absolutely jammed. The Round Lake Bears really came. I bet you 500 to 600 fans they brought with them. Dwight King played a lot. John Nasty Marasty out there. They got Colton Yellowhorn suiting up supposedly tomorrow night. That's going to be an interesting one in Ochap in a beautiful, beautiful facility. Hey, another one in the area.
9: Theodore and Central Butte going at it in D. And I'm, uh, I'm really interested to see the bounce back that the Flyers have from, from game one. And losing, losing that one 6 3 last weekend. So uh, a little bit of chirping going on in their social medias back and forth. So interesting to see if Central Butte can back it and, and force a game three in that series. Another big one in A tomorrow night,
7: game two, Keniston and Lanigan. A lot of firepower. A lot of pro, ex-pro hockey players, ex-college, ex-junior guys on the ice. Lanigan needs to win to force a game number three. And there's game Sunday. Like I said, it is just an extremely busy weekend of senior hockey. Follow the Monday Nooner. You're going to see everything on our socials, whether it's on X, Twitter, or Instagram, Facebook, and then you can just download the podcast, Senior Hockey Show, and figure out what's going on and where. Another busy weekend. We'll be back next week with the Senior Hockey Report. Milzy, always a blast to talk to you for Synergy AG. That is the Sports Cage Senior Hockey Report from the Monday Nooner guys.
2: There you go, Barney Shinkruck with the latest. Monday Nooner podcast senior hockey report here on the sports cage one of my best friends who listens you know he'll listen to the cage and uh, he says Barney Barney from the Monday Nooner and I said I don't think so and he looks it up and sure enough very popular sweeping the province the spit and chiclets of Saskatchewan. Time to break. You are listening to Hour 3 on the Friday edition of the Sports Cage for Nelson Holmes on Rider Radio, 620
1: CKRM. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Regina
2: Pats Hockey tonight on 620 CKRM with Dante DiCaria. I don't know who's in the
4: booth with him. true. Posty, I Drew believe. Drew Posty. Former uh, excellent morning anchor here on 620 CKRM. I think oh. they had him doing a bunch of web editing, didn't they, over uh at- Another building, yes. Okay. And uh, also, yeah. uh, he, he'll he never admit it, but uh, the Messonet Tigers brought him in for camp. When he was uh in his still young cheap. hockey
2: days, yeah. He, he could still skate. Yeah. And um I think his wife learned how to drive a standard in my car. <laughs> that sounds really bad the way I laid that out. Yeah. That was uh Mark Johnson taught her how to drive a standard. Oh okay. a standard, and I was the only one with a standard that was a big enough hunk of crap for them to just lend it to them for the day and not care what happened to it.
4: I still can't do it, so I mean, hey, all the power,
2: right? You know what? If if you have a significant other in your household who you do not want them to be able to drive your car, actually not even a significant other, like your children, you don't want them to drive your
4: car by a standard. <laughs> but I am the significant other, Brendan, that uh
2: that doesn't know how. That, that
4: doesn't know how, right? And doesn't really want to learn. So my my SUV goes front, forwards uh forwards, backwards, left and right. It's 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 fine. You the can, way it is,
2: you can chime in on the discussion through the Capital Ford Lincoln text line three zero six nine three six
4: sixty two sixty two. You had some breaking news about the Pats. Yes, Braden Barnett coming back into the lineup. He's been out for a good long while. Uh, The Martinsville uh, product uh, having a bit of a career year. Uh, I believe it's the second full season with the Pats and uh, having a good season. And then uh, Ty Gibson, the 20-year-old defenseman they acquired from Everett. Uh, He's been out for a while. He's back tonight. So you got two returning players uh, coming into the lineup uh, for three games and four nights. That's a pretty big deal, Brendan. I I like this they get swept is it exit stage right i uh, i'd even say if they lose one i i'll be honest if they lose one of these in regulation gotta get points right even if you're losing gotta get points so, so even if they get a win in a loser point maybe maybe but, it's but if they get swept yeah. it's if they get swept it's it's done i even think if they win one lose one it it's done so they got to get they got to get uh, three points against Swift and then two against Calgary. We we had Dante on earlier this week uh, chatting about it. Uh, Brandon, he seemed to think four point minimum this weekend in the three games. So uh, take that. What he's you a big
2: homer. So, he yeah, ensure, or he, if you know, if he says that, then, you know, you can take it to the bank. Um, uh, of these other teams, we've talked a lot about Moose Jaw. We've talked a lot about Swift Current. We haven't talked a lot about the Blades. Have you had a chance to see the Blades since their deadline?
4: To, uh, maybe not since the deadline, but uh, right after they got Alexander Suzdilev uh, had the game on Access Now uh, Sports. Uh, Alex Suzdilev wanted to play in that first game back, but his gear didn't arrive as Air Canada had it delayed somewhere in their system, so he was on Big the bike. prize. surprise yeah yeah he was on the bike he was ready to go like he wanted to play uh even walked by him gave him a wave and uh said hey but uh no he didn't play and then uh les lazaric was uh talking about it in the uh, media room too very big uh blades voice there up in saskatoon and isn't it good for Les to get a game get a season where the blades are good and like really really good right like he's, he's been calling that team forever 30 years
2: yeah yeah he's put his time in and yeah, but, but I was going to ask you the question, who who's the best team of those three, you think? I feel like those were the buyers at the deadline.
4: Those are the teams that are they're going for it. They're putting their chips to the middle. I'd say Saskatoon is head and shoulders above everyone else in the East. It is their uh, conference to lose, and that can be quite scary, right? For a team with that amount of hype, that amount of expectation – you know, the and the thing with that, Brendan, is a lot of their guys are homegrown, which is really cool. Like Trevor Wong's been a blade. You know, I guess he got traded there, but it just always seems like he's been a Saskatoon blade. Igor Sidorov, same deal. They drafted him in the uh, European draft. I believe that was last year or the season before, you know, and like Tanner Mollendike's always been a, a blade. He's he's a good defenseman on the back end. Austin Elliott, good goaltender, took over right after Nolan Meyer had to age out. But like, again, they, they've built it from within and they've added a piece or two, but it's not like it's an entire team of guys that just got traded traded there right and uh i'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of run they can put together here down the stretch kind of disappointing that they don't play the Pats again yeah a little bit um i mean if you're a pats fan did no it's not because uh, you don't want to see any more six one or nine ones mm. but uh definitely no, it's uh it was a it's a good team a powerhouse team but uh you know as uh ryan Schweitzer mentioned it's it's cyclical right uh the Blades will have their day now. Pats will have their day in the sun in maybe a year or two.
2: Yeah, and it's not as bad as it is in some of these other leagues, or it has been in the CHL. I think, uh, I don't know how many years out you can do in the WHL or in the Q, but in the Q it was so bad. I think they were trading draft picks for as much as five years out. Yeah. And that wasn't that the big reason why Wenatchee did all the trades? Just because Winnipeg mortgaged their future so bad and their last year in Winnipeg, which, by the way, I, I don't think the management group in Winnipeg deserves a whole bunch of credit because they got the team to the finals. There's no artistry in that. No, I like, like, like that's what I don't like about this cycle. And, they, and look, it happens in all leagues. I feel like it's bad in, in the junior loop. But isn't a good general manager, a good sorry, not even just a good general manager, a good organization, the one that is consistently fighting and i i don't even i refuse to put the london knights in that category because it is common knowledge that they spend in ways they are not supposed to spend because they have the big crowds and it's nice that they want to deliver for their fan base and whatever what's good is good what's good for the goose is good for the gander and the chl is fine with that they turn a blind eye to it deliberately but outside of that aren't the good organizations the teams that um what's the evan flow have three really good years where they're a contender maybe one year where they drop off and then another
4: year where they're so-so and then three more good years again. That's kind of the model that Medicine Hat had for a while, isn't it? Kelly McCrimmon and Brandon? Yes. Like, Brandon always seemed like a hard team to play against. Medicine Hat, too, uh, when I first started uh, getting into WHL hockey and, you know, that 2004, 05, 06 kind of time frame, that was when Medicine Hat was really good. That was when Vancouver was also really good Mm -hmm. out out there as well. They were kind
2: of on par with the uh, London Knights at the time, the Vancouver Giants. They had four. I remember they had three home games at the Pacific
4: Coliseum, that drew 40,000 fans. Which seems insane for major junior hockey in today's day and age. Right. Right. Considering the Pats uh, might have drawn a 1,000 on a Tuesday night, you know, this week against Medicine Hat.
2: There's no magic in getting rid of a bunch of your draft picks and loading up for a season. That's the point that I'm making. I get if you're hosting the national
4: championship, maybe, but and like i can kind of understand winnipeg's too right like cuz they were already building that when they left kootenay right like a lot of those like matthew savoy and you know mm-hmm. like they had guys there you know that were prospects and you started to see it a little bit in the, in the COVID bubble year, right? In uh, that subway series that happened here in Regina, you started to see that Winnipeg ice forward group really start to mesh and really start to grow. And then, you know, they make a trade here or there for some defensemen and uh, they find a really good goaltender in Daniel Hauser and all of a sudden, oh, hey, they're, they're really good. They're almost unbeatable. And, you know, they go on that run for two, three years. And then behind the scenes, it's like, oh, well, Winnipeg isn't going to stay in Winnipeg. So where are they going to go? So uh, they were doing really well as well to start this season. I think they were like second in the WHL's Western Conference. People were kind of surprised when they, they were they sold really surprised. They sold, yeah. Right. And they were surprised at the guys they got back too, Right. Because they didn't think Savoy was coming back. They thought he was going to stay up in uh, the NHL, but he came back. Geeky comes back, and then uh, all of a sudden, when just looking around, be like, "What do we do?" Right? And uh, you know they're still in a playoff spot. I think they're fourth in the WHL's West right now without Geeky and Savoy. They still have Daniel Hauser back stopping them too. So he's a really experienced, good WHL goaltender. Like. <sighs> Inferior inferior conference, too. Yes, true. I mean, Portland is definitely the class of that uh, conference. But, uh, hey, don't give up on Prince George quite yet either. Like, imagine driving to Prince George for a playoff series. Oh, like, just the travel. Yeah, yeah. Just the travel alone. And the team is so good. Like, two of their top three. Uh, they have two of the top three scorers in the WHL. Mm. Like, they're a really good team out in Prince George. So, like. Give them a lot of credit too. They're they're going to be a team to be reckoned with.
2: When uh, when I went to pad games as a kid, I remember the games I'd be most excited about were when the teams from out west would come in because you'd only see them once a year, and now it's even less. You see them once every second year. Yep. And I, I'd like to see every team come through, but I understand there's economics and all the rest of it. But there's kind of a magic to that too because you see them so rarely. I remember one uh, one week. Tri-City was here, so I got to see Damon Langkow. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, he was a pretty good, exciting player in junior. Had a nice career in the show. And then Friday, that was like Wednesday, and then Friday, Kamloops was here. Jerome McGinla yeah. and Nat Domichelli. And some of those guys, like Nat Domichelli, I thought would be a big NHL star, didn't pan out. Uh, Jerome McGinla, that was pretty cool to see in action do you get up for those games when you see oh. teams like prince george or whoever come in teams that you just don't see
4: i circle those on the calendar man like i love love going to see those games right and i i always get uh you know excited for for especially like bigger prospects like uh i remember why one of my first years was tri-city comes comes to town on a big long road trip this is their last game before they're heading back home Carry Price is in net for the Tri-Cities Americans. He had just won the World Junior Gold uh with Team Canada at that time and you just knew. You just knew he was going to be an unreal goaltender. Gave up 5. He got absolutely shelled because again, the team was at the end of a road trip. Pats were a decent team but not like tri Cities. I think I remember that game that you're talking yes, about. Yeah. They, they that's were right. I was sitting
2: next to Lee Jones in the press box
4: and he yells out, the price is wrong! And they (laughs) led him up that night. Yeah, I remember going to that game with my mom and uh, I think my stepdad at that point. And uh, yeah, that was just a good, fun time to go be a Pats fan too, right? Because I believe Jordan Eberle was like on the way. Still there. He He was, I think he was a 16-year-old at that point, wasn't he? But everybody knew, I covered the
2: team that year and I remember that was right when I moved back to Saskatchewan and I remember everybody um, knew that he was coming. Like uh, Greg Harder was doing a lot of writing in the leader post. And I remember you go down in the scrums and Greg was around the team all the time. And some of us were more just kind of casual followers. And he pointed that out that he was going to help their power play and everything at 16. You could tell right away that he was coming.
4: I I went, uh, this was when uh, Lumsden hosted the uh, Regina Pats training camp. And so they had mm -hmm. the blue and white game at uh, the Lumsden rink. And you just knew kid in 27 wearing blue. Jordan Eberle was gonna be special just in that game alone because he just he took over. I also saw Colton Tubert throw the hardest hit I've ever seen Mm -hmm. in that game. So that was he was the guy that
2: everybody was
4: pumping up because he was the number one pick, and there was talk of him
2: getting exceptional status. And then he was, I guess, they just decided he wasn't that good. But it's amazing, hey, how uh, one of them really panned out to have a great NHL career and didn't quite happen
4: for the other. If Tubert was born five years sooner, I think he goes on to have a tremendous career. But the game just changed too fast for him.
2: Just like if Eberly was born five years sooner, he probably never would have ended up in the NHL. Exactly I, right. I used to ride around the Iron Lung in uh, Windsor with uh, DJ Smith, now the new assistant coach with the LA Kings, and also Billy Bowler, who's the GM in Windsor now. Billy is, I think he's a Manitoba Moose all-time leading scorer. And you look up the numbers he put up in junior, it's like... <laughs> I didn't quite get enough on that one. I'll try that again. <laughs> Yeah. But he uh but but he played just played in the wrong era. He played yeah. like eight or nine games. I remember asking him on the bus, did you ever look at it and say, Wow, I'm finally here when you got to play in the NHL? And he said no. He said it was like oh, finally, you know, because he, he thought his career would be so much more. But again, played in the wrong era. Yeah. All right. We made it. Can you believe it? We survived. Made it through a week? Nothing blew up. Thank you to everybody, all of our guests on the show, Um, especially congratulations to Sherry Anderson, once again, very deserving inductee into the Canadian Curling Hall of Fame. On behalf of Ryan McNally and everybody here at CKRM, this has been another edition of the Sports Cage for Nelson Holmes on Rider Radio 620 CKRM.